So have you ever been uh, maybe watching TV or listening to the radio and you hear that shrill sound come on followed by the words, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Well, in these times, we've been doing some game planning, you know, trying to get through this uh, virus, and some of us were talking with Chris the other day. What would happen if uh, late Sunday or Saturday evening, Chris notified us he had tested positive and he had to quarantine, which is not the case in this instance? Or this is the time of the year when we might have some bad weather and the roads are slick and hazardous. What do we do then? Or a couple of years ago, we had the floods and we had people displaced or they couldn't get here, couldn't get out of their homes. So what would we do? Well, uh, this is a test. This morning, this is a test of the West Ark Emergency Broadcasting System. But Chris will still be here with us, so let's hear from Chris. I'm preparing this video sermon because I'm celebrating a delayed Christmas with my family. But the opportunity to uh, get creative about finding a substitute for the preaching today led to this discussion of, of being prepared. And so we're trying this. This is an experiment, a video sermon in case for some reason that uh, I'm not able to preach and, and maybe this will lead to other things. We may need to do something like this again in the future. And since March of 2020, we've been very creative in the ways that we assemble together and the ways that we deliver the, the good news and the messages of encouragement. And, um, you know, about a year ago, I was coming to you just like this from my office week after week. And, and you were at home and I was uh, here pre-recorded and we got the message out. We did our assembly virtually. We were all online. And since then we've gone to online on-site um, we're staying creative. We're learning to pivot depending on what the circumstances give us. So this was an experiment and, and um, I'm still gonna preach the word, but this is just one more pivot or one more adaptation and adjustment that we're making because of the circumstances that we all find ourselves in. I've told you before in a, in a sermon that I've been looking for a word that's a little more common use than the word repentance. Repentance is a, is a, is a churchy word and it sounds very judgmental. And, and yeah, I get it. The word might be good enough and we don't need to abandon it. And I'm not talking about that. But such words, when they're only used in church circumstances, they, they tend to get ignored. And I think repentance is too important to be ignored. But what's a term that would, that would communicate and relate to people? I think we've got the perfect word right now, given our situation. I think that we need to learn as Christians how to pivot. That's right, that's the word for today, pivot. Pivoting would be a lot like repentance because you have to change, you have to adapt. Uh, the word for repentance means to change your mind. The word for pivot means to change your direction. And, when, and we've used this word pivot a lot in the last year. We've used it to signal how people are staying on mission, but they are changing how they're doing that. We've seen companies, we've seen families, we've seen individuals, and we've seen leaders pivot, that they have to find new and creative ways to do things because the landscape of the, of the world and the economy and our, our, our um, health concerns have changed. So let's own this word pivot, and let's understand that by it we mean repentance. 
For disciples of Jesus, this kind of pivoting should be second nature. But we may be out of practice. So let's get back to some fundamentals, all right? Just the basics of the game. In fact, let's go back to the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist prepared the way in every one of the four Gospels. And by the way, whenever all four Gospels mention something, pay attention to that. Every one of the four Gospels uh, mentions John because his message and his testimony are considered important in understanding the kingdom of God and the identity of Christ. You know that highway in the ocean and that river in the desert that we spoke of last week from Isaiah 43? John is very much tied into that. Who he is uh, is defined by that way of God where you don't expect to see a way of God. John is the signpost and he's out there in the desert and he's proclaiming that this corridor is the future site of the Lord's highway. John is that voice in the wilderness, making that known to people who are lost and who are looking for the Lord's way. John even wears the prophet's uniform. We're told that he's, he's dressed in the, um, uh, the, the hair shirt and the, and the leather belt and his diet. It's Elijah 2.0. He's dressed up just like Elijah. So he's definitely among the people who speak on behalf of the one true God. He's here to show us the way, and he's here to bring us a word from the Lord. Even though all four Gospels mention this, I want to particularly look at Matthew's description of this. So if you'll join me in Matthew chapter 3 and look at what's said there about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's Matthew 3, 1 through 12. A few observations from this about pivoting or repentance. First, just as the kingdom of Jesus cannot be located on a map, the way that John preaches, the way that John is proclaiming isn't a route that can be mapped out. No, the way of the Lord that John is calling people to is a way of life. It's, it's not a literal highway. 
It is a way of living. It's a, it's a straight path, and a straight path means honest, godly conduct and behavior. If we really want to pivot correctly in this upcoming year, or if we want to pivot in any situation as individuals and as the church, then it begins with our own conversion. It begins with our own humility, our own repentance, our own realization that we need to be disciples. And disciples means that we are a people who are in training and we're being trained to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. The people in Jerusalem and Judea who came out to hear John, they heard a message about a future that was rooted in certainty that even now the axe is at the root of the tree, clearing out everything that's unproductive. They, they heard a message that had an ancient ring to it coming from Isaiah 40, that there was a way in the wilderness that was going to lead to God's promises. The kingdom of heaven was near, and it's not just near in terms of, of space. In fact, it has nothing really to do with spatial relationship at all, but it meant that it was near in terms of time. Now you could say, well, wait, it's been millennia then since John. How can we say that it's near? Well, on the one hand, there's God's perspective of time, but on the other, saying that it's near means that it's certainty is, is guaranteed. That means you can expect it. It's going to happen. It's a high probability, in other words. This kingdom way of God is about to begin, says John. And we all need to live with that expectation that it will happen soon because it certainly will for us. The appropriate pivot then is to confess sin, to put aside behaviors that have no place in the kingdom. Destructive thoughts, anxious thoughts, sinful thoughts, hateful thoughts. You just go down the list all the works of the flesh, the things that are not in keeping with the Spirit of God. We're putting those things aside. We're, we're giving those up. If you look at John's message in the other Gospels, especially in Luke, he begins to describe what that might look like. And again, it's not a literal, it's, it's not a list that we need to go through and, and checklist and say, I've done that and I've done that, I've done that. You've got to understand the way of life that he's talking about. Because if you're going to travel on God's way, if you're going to travel on that, that, that stream in the desert, that highway in the ocean, then you can't travel with the old ways. They don't come with you. You're going to get checked at the gate, and you can't carry that on with you. If you've got sin, if you've got corruption, if you've got your own self-righteousness and your own selfishness, you can't bring that with you. You've got to leave it aside in the way that we do that is confession. Now, this repentance and this turning was, was not something that was done simply out of fear, but it was done for readiness. You want to get ready. You know, this idea of the way through the desert goes back to the Exodus, God's defining event where he, he claims his people and he brings them out of slavery in Egypt. And at the Exodus, at the Passover event, the people were told to prepare the lamb, and they had to eat, and they had to eat in their traveling clothes. I mean, they had their coat on, they had their staff with them, they had their shoes on their feet. Nobody's relaxing. They're getting ready to go. They've got their running shoes on. They've, they've, they've got their bags packed, and they're, they're having a lamb supper. 
And the reason why they're doing that is because God is saying, when I do this, you need to be ready to go. We live in that same Passover readiness in our lives. That's what it means to travel the Lord's highway. The second thing that I want us to observe here is that John's call to pivot crashes up against our tendency to keep everything how it was. The biblical call to repent and to change our ways it's going to encounter friction and opposition and resistance from our tendency to want to do things our way or keep things the way they are. And we may not even recognize that that's our way, but we might justify it by saying, it's the way it's always been done. If it was good enough for my folks, if it was good enough for my grandparents, then why isn't it good enough for me? And that, and that can be a good thing to embrace tradition. But you have to ask if that tradition can maintain itself on God's highway, if it needs to be there and if it can be there. Now, that's represented in this text by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I want you to notice that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees both go to check out what, God, what, what John is doing, that's an unusual situation. That may escape us, but for the Pharisees and the Sadducees to both show up, they were rivals. They each had their idea of what it meant to follow God's way, but they don't engage in a lot of bipartisan efforts. Uh, these two do not go together well, but they've come together for this moment because they sense that what John is preaching and what John is calling people to is a threat to their own idea of how to do things God's way. They're not certain about this pivoting. They want to see how disruptive John is going to be. They're the ones who are coming out saying, we don't see any need to pivot. The way we've been doing things has been working just fine, hasn't it? But they're going to find out in the ministry of Jesus that that's not the case. That in fact, their way is not God's way. And what's really tragic about it is they can't even recognize that. That's included in John's message to them. He tells them that they are keepers of a legacy. And there's a lot that's good about the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're the keepers of the legacy that's Abraham's bloodline. They believe in those stories. They believe in that Exodus story. And they have assumed that if they maintain that and they keep those customs, then all is well. And they've worked for generations. What's interesting is the Pharisees have come up with one way of doing it, and the Sadducees have come up with a slightly different way of doing it. Uh, they seem to want the same thing, but they've come up with different interpretations for how you're supposed to do that. They have good intentions, but John calls them a brood of vipers, and that's some pretty strong language. Now, we hear that term brood of vipers, and again, that, that may hit us strange, and we got to ask ourselves, what's he saying? Well, brood of vipers is a tough term, and it's a, it's a rough term, and he really means to rattle their cage when he says it. Now, just because John says it, I don't recommend that we go out and make that a part of our evangelistic effort to call people broods of vipers. To say that they're broods of vipers means that 
they may think that their traditions are oriented in something good, but he's telling them that they don't know what they've gotten into. In fact, the best way for us to understand that might be if we tell someone that they've made a deal with the devil or they've sold their soul to the devil. Because when we use that term, what we mean is we're, we're, we're saying, you know, you've probably done this for a good reason and maybe even to gain something that you think is good, but you've, you've made an alliance with forces that are going to lead to your destruction. And that's definitely what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have done. If we're called to uh, pivot to a new way, then we're also being called to pivot from our way, even if it's an old way. But what happens if we don't ever want to leave those old ways? Well, what happens is our way ends up taking us straight into a dead end. John says there's no future with the way of the Pharisees, the way of the Sadducees, the way of this crooked generation. They look to the past and they say Abraham is their father. But God's promise to Abraham was not that everyone would remember Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was that he would have offspring. They ought to be looking to the future and understanding that they have the responsibility of being the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are looking back. They're looking back and saying, if we are connected to Abraham, then we're okay. And John is saying, no. Abraham is looking forward into the future and saying, if my offspring, even my spiritual offspring, will follow God, then everything's okay. God's promise to Abraham was focused not on giving, well, it was focused on giving a man with one foot in the grave a future. Abraham had no future by the world's ways, but in God's ways, Abraham has a remarkable, miraculous future. He has children, he has heirs. And here they are and they've reversed it. John says that God's going to keep his promise to Abraham even if he has to make children of Abraham out of dead, cold stone. And he's saying actually that that's better material to work with than the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are so sold out to their own way. They were so focused on the root that they ignored the purpose of the root, which is to feed the tree so that the tree can produce fruit. That's the whole point of a plant is to produce some sort of product or produce or offspring. They needed to pivot, but they wouldn't. And John says the unproductive is going to be cleared out for the sake of growth. The ax is at the root. So number three, how do we pivot? If you're wondering how, how do we pivot on the way of God, then, then look to John and look at where John is pointing. In ancient traditions, John is usually depicted in pictures as, as pointing. And he's, he's, he's always pointing to something, and he's pointing to someone. And it's always the same. You've probably guessed it. He's pointing to Jesus. Look at Jesus would be John's encouragement to us. As the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is our pioneer. He's our trailblazer. He's the one who's gone ahead of us. And Jesus' response to John's preaching is obedience. Baptism is the on-ramp to this way of the Lord, this Lord's freeway. And isn't it interesting that when, when, 
when Jesus shows up, he doesn't say, thank you, John, I'll take it from here. I really appreciate everything that you've done. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, John the Baptist, personal friend of mine, isn't he great? Wonderful guy, wonderful guy. No, Jesus shows up and says to John, John, everything you're saying is true. I need to be baptized. I need to be the first to step in on that way. And John is stunned, and who can blame him? It makes sense to me. I mean, I can understand why John calls him aside and says, are you sure this is proper procedure? I mean, shouldn't you be baptizing me? You're the one I've been preaching about, and you're the one I've been pointing to. I get it. But Jesus says, no, this has to happen because of righteousness. This needs to happen so that people understand what the right thing to do is, so that people understand what obedience is. And from that moment on, Jesus' life is marked out by obedience. And obedience is the pavement that makes up the way of God. Obedience is the material that makes up the highway of the Lord, the way of life that is following God. Jesus is in himself, according to John's gospel, the way. He is that way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so we follow John and we look to Jesus and we say, that's the way we need to be living. That's who we need to be. And that way of God goes somewhere. It even cuts straight through death and opposition and it cuts through trials and difficult circumstances and it leads to eternal life. You know, no matter what we get thrown at us and no matter what we lose along the way, no matter how many pivots we have to make, if we keep pivoting back to Jesus and staying on that path, then we're going to find the way of God. We're going to get to that place where Jesus is that's at the end of this highway. Whenever I, I, I do a wedding, um, and I usually have the groom beside me, and uh, there's talented people, there's very gifted people who take care of all the people who come marching in, and the bride and everyone else. The groom just walks along with me. And I always give that groom the same instruction. I say, look, here, here's how this works. I say, you're a compass, and you're always pointing at magnetic north. That bride that's coming in, she's magnetic north. Wherever she is, that's where you look. That keeps the groom from wandering around and staring at the ceiling or you know, having his back to everybody, because as long as he's focused in that direction, he's going to get it right. And that's what we need to be. We need to be like the groom looking at the bride. Or, to use the metaphor that Paul uses, we need to be the bride looking to the groom who is Jesus. Let's just focus on him and stay unstuck so that we can pivot and focus on him. That's going to help us out a lot. You use a compass when you're lost. You use a compass to get your bearings, to find out where you need to go. And if your compass is pointing anywhere except Jesus, you're going to end up at a dead end. You know, this week we saw people acting in violence in the nation's capital. We've seen it before. We've seen it in history. And I hope that we don't see such things again, not for a very long time. 
But I want to tell you this, this is what happens when you run out of options. Mob mentality happens because people have run out of options. They've lost the creative ability to pivot. They think that things have to go in one certain direction. And when it doesn't seem like they're going in that direction anymore, they got nowhere else to go. They resort to violence. They don't pivot. They don't repent. They don't U-turn. And they run headlong into destruction. That happens because people follow a story that leads to a dead end. They follow a false hope. But when we pivot to the way of the Lord, then we don't have to resort to violence. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's what they do. They resort to violence. We know the rest of the story. Even though they may not engage in it personally themselves, they, they use that. They use violence as their, as their last weapon to get their way. And they will even, they will even um, bend the way of the Lord or ignore it, deviate from it to get their way. And any time that we think that some other way, no matter how good we may think it is or no matter how right we think it is, when we embrace it and try to, to bring it onto the Lord's highway, we're going to find ourselves losing our way. It becomes idolatry, and that leads to destruction. When we pivot to the way of the Lord, though, violence, it's, it's not even, it's not only that violence isn't an option, it's that violence isn't needed because God overcomes it. All we have to do is be faithful and be obedient. People acted violently towards John. People acted violently towards Jesus. They trusted themselves and they committed their lives to the Lord. And they were they were content to do so. Were they afraid at times? Sure. Were they worried at times? Sure. But did they lose their way? No, because they trusted in him. Being on the way of the Lord leads to truth, and truth is liberating because truth, truth frees us from the, the dead end of false gods and the dead end of false stories and empty hopes. Being on the Lord's way frees us from the dead end of the coming wrath of self-destruction and divine judgment. So, let's commit ourselves to the right way. Let's commit ourselves to God's way. Let's pivot and get back on the Lord's way. If you've gotten off track, pivot. Get back on track. If you find yourself Needing your bearings, pivot. Find your bearings in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life.